Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Mediator podcast, news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I speak with Elsa Kramer, who is a leadership coach and speaker. She's also a Lego lover, working with neurodivergent and gifted adults. We discuss the gift of neurodiversity, as well as the challenges that many people face in accepting and working with it. Welcome, Elsa. Thank you, Jane. Happy to be here. Oh, brilliant. So I've been so looking forward to this, Elsa, talking about neurodiversity in the times we are in, which are quite extraordinary. So before we dive into that, tell me a little bit about your background, how you come to be working in this field. Um, Well, it's a bit of a long story, but I'll try to keep it short. So what I do right now is help kind, smart leaders and executives and entrepreneurs manage their minds so they can have an even bigger impact in the world. Um, And in addition to that, I advocate for neurodiversity awareness and acceptance as a speaker on LinkedIn, right, on any any platform that will have me. And one of the reasons I do that, of course, is that I am neurodivergent. So going back in time, my background is a degree in philosophy at King's London. Mm -hmm. After that, many different jobs, um, Mm -hmm. trying lots of different things, thinking everything is needlessly complicated, stupid, insane, most of the time, Um, landing a job in politics as a director of the Young Socialists in Holland and getting my first burnout at 26. And then thinking, wow, I can't believe that, first of all, this is the way people treat each other. This is the way organizations are run. But also, I can't believe this is so hard for me to deal with mm. right mm. and back then I had a coach I, I I think I was one of the at the beginning of coaching even but they said oh you just go home for a year or half a year and then you'll feel better and you'll come back I was like uh, I don't think so because that's not going to change anything I'll just get more upset and annoyed <laughs> so I'd read about this thing called a coach I think it was in even in Oprah magazine or something I said I want a coach give me a coach I don't want to sit at home. And they got me a coach and she worked with me and she showed me also my part of the equation, right? Where I was being extremely judgmental <laughs> about everything that was going on and not necessarily the most diplomatic in the way I communicated my, my opinions. Um, but she also said after a while, listen, um, is this really the work you want to do in this world? Because I just received an offer for an even better job working for the the finance minister. And that would involve a lot of commuting to The Hague. And I was talking to her about it. And I said, yeah, that'd be amazing because I can listen to music on the way there. And she just looks at me and she said, ha, I think you don't want this job. I think you want to do something with music. Mm-hmm. And that kind of blew my brain. And then I kind of, I saw it. I was like, oh, my God. I need to leave politics. And I ended up going to the conservatory actually in Amsterdam to study music theory. Long story short, lots of stuff in between, lots of different jobs after studying music, um, but always this feeling that I was the answer to someone else's question, right? I was the solution to their problem because I'm smart. I have a great work ethic. I will show up and do what I need to do, but it never felt fulfilling. So. After a while, I was like, I could wait for my next burnout or I could just 
stop creative action and figure out what I am meant to do in this world. Instead of trying to find a place where I could possibly fit in, maybe even create that. And that's where I ended up starting my own business. That was back in 2005. And it led to the most amazing journey of starting a photography business that then morphed into something amazing um, where I ended up even on the speaker circuit <laughs> as an international oh, yes, speaker, yes. right? That's how we met. Speaking about back then the visual revolution, how smartphone yeah. photography was revolutionizing our storytelling yeah. and democratizing it, working with massive institutions like, you know, um, the Dutch National Archive about truth in visual storytelling, uh, working with museums, just so much fun. It was incredible. But there was a stage where I thought, this is amazing. I have created this beautiful world for myself where I can excel, play, do interesting things all the time. And yet it still feels very hard, right? Yeah. It should feel easy. It should feel light. And it still felt heavy. And that's when I discovered two things. I discovered coaching again, kind of rediscovered it. And I discovered I am autistic. Yes. And that last piece of the puzzle it was just incredible I mean people ask me like why would you need another label or a diagnosis you already I already knew I was gifted from a very young age what what difference does it make to know you're autistic how does it change your life and it is massive because for so long I had been beating myself up and judging myself for not being able to do things that I thought a decent normal human being should be able to do like enjoy receptions with lots of people. <laughs> right? Yeah, be outgoing all the time or be able to deal with this massive onslaught of sounds and, and not be rattled by it. Um, so many things. And discovering that I have an autistic brain was just, it was just like someone said, finally said to me, look, here is the manual for your brain this is how you should run it. This is what it's good at. This is what's really hard for it. Now run with that instead of beating yourself up for uh, sucking at so many things that you think you should be amazing at. So that was such a game changer. Game changer and a revelation, I guess. Yeah, yeah. totally. And then I thought, okay, I love my business. I love what I do, but there are so many people like me suffering. Mm -hmm. I need to change that. So I decided almost overnight, actually, <laughs> to completely change my business and start coaching people um, and advocate for acceptance um, and inclusivity when it comes to neurodiversity. And it's been amazing. It has been an amazing journey. And we just happened to reconnect at this time. And I think neurodiversity and, and any kind of diversity, you know, has been something that has been squashed, hidden. Um, yes stigmatized uh, and now we're beginning to surface it you know people like yourself Elsa are beginning to uh discover it for themselves you know oh actually I, I always knew I was different but here's why yes. and here's how my brain works and here's how I can help others and um, so there's a kind of revolution as well as a revelation I think absolutely absolutely and I think it's I mean it's I have to say it's incredible and fabulous what has been happening on the neurodiversity front and how many companies are organizing neurodiversity pride days and all those things. And I'm loving it. And I love riding that wave <laughs> with all of us, but we have to remember that there is 
there is a driving factor um, underneath all of this, which is the war for talent. <laughs> I mean, let's not beat around the bush. So many people are now completely fed up with positions where they just, you know, get burnt out, get sick, just hate every minute of it and feel like they cannot um, basically be achieve what they could possibly be. Yes. So they're leaving companies and companies are waking up to that and thinking, oh, maybe there is something here. Maybe we need to look into this neurodiversity thing and start figuring out how to treat these people better. And so I'm sort of moving on to think about the times we're living in Mm. because they're chaotic times, aren't they? They're times where a lot of what we're trying to deal with in the workplace, at home, in society in general, on the world stage is 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 chaos crisis ridden um you know we can't read the future and i'm wondering therefore how an understanding of neurodiversity helps in these situations or helps some people to help to guide us through these situations well i think in many ways right so with covid covid has been an incredible game changer as well because covid showed so many people that it is possible first of all to work remotely which people didn't think was possible, (laughs) which is so fascinating. Like three years ago, so many companies would would say it's impossible for you to work remote. You just can't. We need you in the office. And then all of a sudden it was possible, right? So in that sense, everything has shifted. Um, And despite all the chaos and everything changing, especially right now, again, right, what's happening in Ukraine, I think there is a, um, a bigger understanding that we really don't know what is the best for an individual, right? We can think we know, but it's different for everyone. So sure, so many people love going into the office and they've really missed it and they need to connect with other people that way. And so many other people thrive when they can have lots of alone time, right? And be in their own bubble and be incredibly produ- productive that way. Um, and I think that is that is one of the best things to have come out of the pandemic, that people are finally seeing in HR, it's finally seeing that, no, it's not like if, if people say I need to work from home, it's not like they're not going to work. <laughs> they're, not, they're not asking permission to slack. They're actually asking for permission to be productive. Yeah. And there are not so many people who don't want to be productive. Most people want to be inspired by the right. work they do. So we do people a disservice if we say, oh, actually, they're just looking for an excuse to to not work or we've got to. If that's your first thought, you really have to (laughs) think about what you're doing with your business. And and it's made, and I know with my clients, it's made them measure different things. You know, you can't measure productivity by how many hours somebody was sat in front of the screen because maybe, and I just read something about this yesterday, the value of going for a 15 minute only walk in terms of your brain power and your idea generation is massive. So to say sitting in front of your screen is productivity when going for a walk, and I know that's true for me, my best ideas and titles for my blogs and the title for my book have come when I've been walking on a hill somewhere. Yeah, 100%. I I love that you're saying this because this is one of the things I coach so many people and we have this still like Victorian industrialized age idea of productivity, right? You just have to put in the hours and be as efficient as possible and do as much as possible in in the smallest amount of time. It's insane. 
It doesn't work that way. Our brains don't work that way. And we still subscribe to it in so many ways. And and I have so many clients who still beat themselves up when, when they're like, oh, but I, you know, I went for a walk instead of doing that thing. Or I feel like I'm procrastinating all the time. And I'm like, what if your walk or even your shower is actually your innovation lab, Mm. right? That is the time you need to make the connections to get your incredible ideas. That is massively quote unquote productive, just not in that old fashioned way of seeing productivity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I've begun actually since COVID, I've begun each day with a group doing a power half hour, we call it, which is a meditation and a visualization. And I would never have thought that devoting half an hour to that at the beginning of the day would be as productive as it is. And also for me, writing a daily blog is a way of being creative and putting down my ideas. And that has been something that I again would have thought, or maybe that's a waste of time, you know? And that is that old programming where your brain's like, no, you need to, you know, have these deliverables for your business. It should look like this, et cetera, et cetera. And sure, in some, I'm, I'm not, you know, denying that there are some jobs where you do have to just ship items and stuff. But for a lot of people, they have to do deep thinking, they have to be innovative, right, create new things, you cannot do that, like sit there and and think, okay, I'm gonna invent something new right now, right on the spot, I have one hour. (laughs) It's insane. And specifically neurodivergent brains are to be extremely good at connecting things that nobody else can connect, seeing patterns, all those things. But in order to do that, you can't just you know, stay stuck in the same situation. You need to get out there and be triggered, inspired, you know, by so many different things. So yeah, walks, meditation, um, all the things, looking at art, whatever, right, works for you is actually work. So I don't know, I know you're working with employees, but trying to persuade employers of the value of some of these things. And I, I for a long time, have followed Ricardo Semler. I don't know if you mm. know of him. yes. Absolutely. Uh, And he wrote The Seven Day Weekend and Maverick, which were books which um, which espoused these things. You know, if you need to spend money on the beach, spend money on the beach. As long as you get your work done or, you know, I don't really mind how you do it. And also, I know Ricardo Semler said, you know, if you want to try another job in the company, you know, like to be receptionist for the day, do it. So he encouraged me because that's the thing I think, Elsa, we all think that everybody thinks and sees the world like us and they don't. Yeah. Uh, and even when we know that in theory, we don't know it in practice. So unless we go and sit and we talk in mediation about being in someone else's shoes, but unless you sit in their seat and experience the day as they accept, how would you know what their day exactly. feels like? Yeah. And I think that's a massive thought error, right? Like the, they think they know what is best for their people and they really don't. And what's fascinating to me when I speak about these things, for example, like I'll do a learn and share um, about being autistic and I speak about sensory overload, there will be so many people coming up to me afterwards saying, listen, I'm not autistic or anything, but I love what you're saying because I'm going nuts in here. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So when you make things better for neurodivergent people, it tends to be better for a lot of other people too who don't necessarily identify as neurodivergent. 
And so one of the things I'm thinking as we're talking, uh, which which delves a bit into sort of office politics and politics is, you know, that we we tend to think in group things that we know what's best for everybody. Yes. That the that the organization can create, uh, you know, a, a framework that suits everybody or that in politics we can create policies and that that's what's good for one is good for everybody. And yet we know that's not true. And so this, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is how do we how do we begin, given that we're beginning to sort of envisage what does a world beyond where we are now look like? How do we begin to envisage that with this diversity in mind? Because we can't just create one world that suits everybody. No, we can't. But we also can't have a world that excludes so many people, right? That's what it's like mostly right now for a lot of people. So I think it is um, a matter of like being very curious as a leader and very open and entering that dialogue and just asking your people like, okay, so what do you need? right? What is it? What is it like for you? What is your experience? But also being an example of acceptance, right? Not just saying, oh, in order to be a great team player, you need to go to all the Friday afternoon drinks or whatever it is, right? Because otherwise we don't trust you. You're not one of the gang, et cetera, et cetera. So how can you show that both you love the people who do love to go for the drinks, right? <laughs> and you love the people and trust the people who actually love to stay in their little bubble or whatever it is and just yeah. get their work done yeah. Um, yeah. and they can all be amazing members of a team and all contribute in their own way I suppose Elsa and I don't know that it's role modeling from the top that acceptance rather than stigmatizing and separating yes. we're very good at separating out at the moment in society at all sorts of levels people who don't fit the narrative if yes you like. 100%. Yeah. And I think that it's it's very hard in the sense that when you start talking about accommodations, for example, um, of course, it requires people to come out in the first place as neurodivergent, yes. which many people are terrified to do, because mm -hmm. there tends to be a backlash, a lot of misunderstanding, sometimes even bullying, yes. right, because there's so many misconceptions. Um, and if leadership doesn't create a safe space, it's you can say, oh, you know, just tell us what you need and, and we'll provide it for you. Um, you can say that. But if people don't feel safe to actually ask for it, it's never going to help, is it? Yeah. And bullying, I know, and it's something I it's a field that I work in as well, is, is such a huge problem. More than ever now, I think people are feeling bullied, coerced, manipulated into being something they don't want to be, doing yes. something they don't want to do. I gave an example on a on a blog this week of being in a restaurant on uh, last week and the bill being presented with, oh, we've added a pound of your money, not, not their money, to, to go to our chosen charity. What? <laughs> I don't okay. mind you. And I'm like, oh, hang on, yes, I do. But the, the manipulation was, or the coercion, you're going to embarrass yourself in front yes. of your colleague here by asking for the bill to be sent back. So you probably won't do that because it's only a pound, isn't it? Um, and I said, no, <laughs> I don't consent. I don't consent. But th that blog post got 7,000 views on LinkedIn and comments and emails coming through to me. So it's touched a nerve in that people do feel they're being manipulated and bullied 
in right. all sorts of situations yes. where they would like to speak up, but they don't feel they can. Yeah. And I think for employers, I mean, there needs to be warning signs when, for example, people start taking on lots of extra work that helps. I help a lot of gifted people and um, they tend to also attract this because they're interested in so many different things, right? So a colleague will say, oh, you're so good at this. You're so fast at doing this. You don't mind. Would you mind, right? You don't really mind, do you? (laughs) And then it adds up and it adds up Mm. and they um, end up with two or three quote unquote normal workloads. And again, this ends in disaster, right? This never ends well. Uh, and, but it's very, it, it isn't like overt um, coercion, right? It's like very, like, oh, could you please, right? It's very hard to draw a line in the sand and say, hang on, no, yeah. <laughs> actually. Yeah. yeah. So there's so many levels on which to learn about this. Yes. The individual level, you know, where am I? And, and, and my understanding has always been that we're all on a spectrum somewhere. It's not you either fit in this box or you don't fit in this box. Everybody's somewhere on a spectrum. Well, yes and no, in the sense that when you say everybody's on the spectrum, people with autism get tend to get very offended because yes. not everybody has autism. <laughs> yes, because autism is described as an autistic spectrum. I understand that. Yes. Just wanted to make that clear. Yeah. Yes, I understand. Yeah. That. But if you're saying we're all we all have very different brains. 100 percent yeah, yeah exactly. and different needs and different needs and and trying to understand that at the individual level then at the uh you know in, in the interpersonal level yes. and into you know the incorporational at and then at the international level you know i'm very yes. interested in this you know how do we how do we look at how society is structured how do we look at our leaders and understand that in terms of the differences that we see and how they play out. Uh, I think what we've seen, especially now, right, recently, is how much we tend to admire leaders who are authentic, mm-hmm. interestingly, mm-hmm. right? And I think that is the move we all need towards people, both on an individual level, right, being allowed to be themselves at work, entrepreneurs feeling they can be themselves as an entrepreneur, right? Some people freak out when I tell them, well, just, you know, if, if you don't want to do receptions or whatever, or do live meetings with people and you're an entrepreneur and you're the CEO, you don't need to. And they're like, but, but, but I'm like, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So on yeah. that level, and then on a global level, if our leaders can be an yeah. example of being themselves, yeah. being authentic instead of playing some weird game for approval, because that's what it always is, right? You wrote, if we're not being ourselves, we're playing some weird game for approval. That can be an incredible example of what it can be to be human. And this is what it's all about. I've I've always been fascinated by um, one of my uh, legal colleagues who ran a school for trial lawyers in America. And all the trial lawyers would sign up, think I'm going to learn a better art of cross-examination. And, I'm ah. gonna, you know, and when they arrived, um they were asked to go for walks they were asked to write poetry they were asked to paint and the idea was love it know yourself how can you possibly know your client how can you possibly know your boss you know and this is really and this is what i'm incorporating into my my course on on barefoot mediation is you know we've got to get back to who we are grounded in who we are and feeling safe in who we are and feeling and showing that yeah absolutely 
So how then do we find, you know, who's going to lead us? What's going to lead us forward to, to a better a better understanding, a better world, perhaps, Elsa, in the times we're trying to understand and manage? Well, I just, I actually, interestingly, today, I um, read an article about empathy being the most important quality in a leader, right? So I think leaders who actually listen, who have empathy, Mm. Um, are going to be the ones to get us out of this stupid mess. <laughs> right? yeah. We don't. We no longer need the the um, the, sh- the people who shout with the rhetoric all the things. I don't think many people buy into that stuff anymore. Anyway, so we, we need people who can lead by listening, by being empathetic, by facilitating, right, rather than pushing. And saying you need to go and do this by being curious, open, and constantly willing to learn. Yeah. Right. So not a closed yeah. mind, but an open mind. Yeah. All the things we teach in mediation <laughs> actually really? work in the in the leadership field as well. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. do you do you have any leaders that and they don't have to be leaders on the world stage or even heads of corporations, but. Do you have any that you, as examples that you can you can relate uh, people you're well, admi- Listen, I absolutely love Andy, and I'm going to slaughter his last name, Padicum, the yes. founder of Headspace. Yes, yes, yes. He is like my hero. I mean, not just because he's in my he's been in my ears for the past six years on an almost daily basis, but what he has done. Um, for the world, but also in creating this massive world-changing company with what I would call like soft leading, soft quote-unquote leadership, soft skills. It's it's incredible. It's massive. And it's so inspiring. Yeah. So, yeah. And and these are the kind of people we kind of need to understand how can we, and we don't have to be like them. That's the thing. It's not being yeah. like someone else. It's that it's that permission to be who I am. Yes. And take that forward and then find. And I I love your journey, really, Elsa, because it's it's a journey of discovery to say not only who I am, but where do I then fit? And then who can I help? Yeah. And also, how can I both for me design my work, right? And my world so that it works with my specific brain and encourage everybody else to do the same. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So much fun. And I myself, these last two years have been on, on a real journey of discovery and taking sort of courses and assessments to find out really who I am at this <laughs> stage in my life, which is fascinating. And then you think, how did I not know that? Why did I not know that until now or perhaps i did but it i'd never been allowed to acknowledge it and also maybe there simply wasn't a language for it yes right yeah 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 there wasn't a discourse or the words to even name what you were experiencing yes and especially when you look at for example autism women weren't supposed to be autistic for so many years it just wasn't an option right it didn't yeah, exist sort of, sort of problem with the male brain isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> fascinating yeah so there must be do your clients divide easily into men and women you know are you finding you attract more of one particular no i think it's pretty much 50 50 but they are all incredibly kind humans yes 
I think that's what, but when you look at what they have in common, they're beautifully smart, kind human beings. Some of them autistic, some of them ADHD, some of them quote unquote, just smart. Right. Mm -hmm. And they all want to make this world a better place. Do you know, that's a wonderful message, you know, kind humans who want to make the world a better place, where, where better to sort of be going in the future than gathering together kind humans who want to make the world a better place. Right. And giving them the tools to do that, because kind yeah. humans sometimes also tend to have boundary issues, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. that's where I come in yeah. and say, no, no, no. <laughs> right. This is how you actually stand your ground and have a massive impact. Yeah. Well, this is very inspiring, Elsa. I think we've we've covered such a lot in helping people, I think, to acknowledge who they are. But this, you know, how can we take that and find a role for it in the world that doesn't have to be something you thought you ought to do? Yeah. <laughs> but something that you are attracted to, really, uh, that you're called to, maybe even. Even if you just feel a tiny nudge or pull yes go after it yeah mm. fantastic what would your final message be to listeners Elsa I would say that if you're a leader just remember that leadership is about setting your people up for success right and constantly asking yourself how can I do that better and how can I include neurodivergent people in that thank you and my how pleasure <laughs> How can people find you, Elsa? Because you've uh, obviously got a very powerful message and I, I imagine many people might want to follow up and find you. They can find me on LinkedIn. Yes. Um, Elsa Kramer, as in Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> and, and, and also my website, coachkramer.org. That's Brilliant. Brilliant. Elsa, thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Uh, I've enjoyed it and learned a lot from you as always. Likewise. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please do subscribe to the Barefoot Mediator podcast series. And if you would like to access my free video series for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis, and download a PDF copy of my book, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom, please go to janegunn.co.uk slash video. The link is in the show notes.